Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast with Michael Lafito, where top luxury agents reveal their best practices, plus interviews with real estate industry influencers, thought leaders, and luxury marketing experts. You'll come away from each episode with new strategies and tactics to dominate high-end homes in any market. And now for the latest episode of Luxury Listing Specialist. Here's your host, luxury real estate expert, coach, and trainer, Michael Lafito. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Michael Lafito. Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast. I'm excited for today's interview. Again, you are at the right place if you're, whether you're a newbie agent or a seasoned veteran and you're looking to dominate selling high end and luxury homes in your respected market. Again, every marketplace is different. It might be $500,000 is the average sale price in your market for high end homes. In other markets, we just interviewed someone from Beverly Hills where the average there was four and a half million. So it's all relative, but you are in the right place if you're looking to either break into or dominate selling high-end and luxury homes because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if you sell a million-dollar home, you get a lot more than selling a $200,000 home. So with that being said, we have Steve Weidler uh, with us today. Steve is with, uh, he's a co-founder of Weidler Brothers Real Estate um, out of the greater D.C metro area welcome steve thank you for having me uh you're you're quite welcome and um again we from time to time have broker owners we might have service providers we might just have johnny rockstar who's a top agent that's using some unique marketing strategies to sell high-end and luxury homes because most marketplaces it there's a shift from a seller's market to a buyer's market. At some price point, there's a lot of inventory, not a lot of demand. And of course, we call that a buyer's market. So that's probably where I'm going to hit you with first. I know offline you shared with me probably the average price point in your marketplace that you um, sell, uh, Steve, because you are a broker owner, but you actually sell as well. Is You said somewhere in the five to 550 price point is probably the average sale price for homes in, in, in the greater uh, DC metro area. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, you know, I, that's a subset of the market, but that's sort of my core market. So, in my core market, is about five fifty. Okay, in your core market, and in your core market, at what price point do you think it really becomes saturated with properties, and it really becomes a buyer's market? At what price point would would you um, say for your core market, Steve? Well, right now we're we're in an interesting uh, demographic shift in the D.C. area. It seems that the home builders have gone. Uh, uh, got very excited about the opportunities in our market. So there's been a lot of luxury homes built. Infill housing is what we call it, where a builder will buy a older, you know, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s home, buy it for the land, tear it down, and put up a luxury home. So we are seeing uh, a lot of new supply in the into the uh, in the new home section segment of the market and that in this area that really starts at like the one 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 two range and up so that's where we're seeing a little more uh, of a buyer's market okay so around one 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 two you talked about when you're landlocked when you're in an established neighborhood and there's not you know big plots of land around we call that teardowns right where they're knocking down a property building a new home correct that's right. Yeah, I was a uh, former chief business uh, and marketing officer for a company called Teardowns.com, and that's really what they specialize when the values in the land. So v- very, very interesting. So about 1-1. So tell us, um, I, I guess, 
we talked before this, so I know you were formerly with a, a, a large company, uh, which is known as Long and Foster, and you had one of the top five uh, producing teams when you when you left there at the time. So when you're with a big brokerage and you're going on a listing appointment for many of these these listeners, you know, they're wondering, hey, man, I'm, I'm a little afraid of going on one of these big appointments because I don't dominate it yet. What if they ask me this? What if they ask me that? And they what if themselves to death? Well, you know, when you're with a larger company, you know, there's pros and cons to that. Well, you're now with the boutique. So maybe uh, for those listeners that maybe are with the boutique type of office, um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, Steve, that that's a, a, an objection that you have to come up against. Maybe you're up against a Remax, a Coal Banker, a large national brand. Um, what what do you recommend to those listeners, or what do you do that that helps overcome that that objection, the the elephant in the room, so to speak? That's a great question. So, uh, you know, we we. Uh, the way we handle that is we love to tell our story of how how we went from being an individual agent to one of the largest teams in the country to being an independent broker. And through the, through the telling of that story, we're able to really hit what our value proposition is and explain to the to the the prospective client why we're different and why why that difference is going to be a benefit to them. Okay. Um, so unique selling proposition, telling your story. That's what I hear you say, correct? That's, that's correct. You know, when I speak and train on national stages, I talk about story sell, right? Be a great storyteller. Now, don't make stories up, right? But, but be able to articulate right. your message where your audience you know, can understand it. I'll never forget when I, you know, was in college, I go to this church and, and the, the, the priest at the time would tell some amazing stories and he would make it relative so you could understand it. So, you know, when I'm on listing appointments, I try to figure out what kind of car they drive. So after we get a tour of the home and I see the garage and I see the car, I use a lot of car analogies because I feel like people can relate. So right. telling a story, building rapport, building rapport with them, so you have a captive audience is is what I hear you saying, correct? Yeah, you definitely you know, in any appointment you you want to establish some some levels of connection that are outside the business context. So whether it's, you know, where you know, you grew up in the same general part of the country or you both like the, you know, a particular sports team whatever it is, you do you want to make some some connections. Obviously the the more uh impactful the connections the better. Uh, sometimes, despite trying, uh, you don't always find the connection. But yeah, yeah. you want to avoid sort of the resume dump. So it's yeah, it, yeah. There's an art to do to do it. Um, and with respect to the storytelling, I think you hit the nail on the head. You have to be authentic, and you can't make stuff up. And you know, if you really if you really believe in yourself and you're confident in your abilities, um, and have a good story, you know that that sort of that passion. And that that um, energy will will allow the prospective buyer or seller to connect with you easier. Yeah, I think authenticity is really important. There's other, you know, luxury trainers or certifications out there that say you got to do this, you got to do that. I tell people hogwash. I mean, be authentic. I mean, I got a 19 on my ACT in the time of. T- doing this this show i got five properties on the market above five million and you know it's all relative steve but in the chicagoland market that that that's a high-end 
property. There were only three $5 million properties sell last year. And I tell people, listen, be authentic. You don't have to come from a gated community. You don't have to come from a white collar family. You know, you need to be authentic. You need to be able to articulate what makes you different and unique or why they should hire your boutique versus a large or why they should hire your large company, the benefits versus a boutique. It's really emphasized you know, the strengths of what it is you do. And you were talking about sports teams and, and, and I, I use the term affinity, right? How do you, how do you, how, how do you build affinity with your potential clients? So you're a Harley rider. They ride a Harley Davidson. You know, you, you're a, um, a University of Maryland fan. They're a University of Maryland fan or whatever it might be. Try to build that common connection and do your homework ahead of time. We live in a Google world. We live in a Zillow world. And so before your appointment, do your due diligence. I use the term social media scrub, Steve. I check them out ahead of time so I know what their likes and their interests are, there's any similar connections so i i'm a, i'm already uh, you know prepared for that appointment before the appointment does it, i'm you know you've been in the industry you're a rock star that's why we got you on the luxury listing specials podcast i'm not telling you anything but is there anything else that maybe you recommend you know to build that rapport and and um, differentiate yourself on the listing appointment let's just stick to that well you uh, again i think you hit the nail on the head you do uh, you definitely do as much due diligence as you can, um, uh, and find out you know what connections you have through social media. You figure out you read their bio, um, uh, do as much research on their home. You know, you, you I like to I like to think that I know more about their home before I walk in it than they do, and that always impresses them. So I, I research the you know you know the tax records, the the lot quality in our area. We have something called resource protected area. Which um, means that you might have some restrictions on building building in it if you're if you're near a, a, a watershed area, and just being able to talk to them about it and show them that you pulled this research and you're going to be able to communicate this and anticipate problems with uh, potential buyers gives them a lot of confidence that you're you're the right person to be speaking with. Yeah, owning your numbers, doing your due diligence. Um, you know, showing up differently, articulating your message. These are all things that uh, we recommend with our certification. That's what we train on as well. Um, and this is probably a loaded question, and I, I doubt you'll be able to put your finger on one. But if you were to pinpoint one marketing strategy you find most effective for selling high-end homes, what would you what would you attribute that to, Steve? Uh, yeah, that is a, sort of a, a tough and you know, tricky question, but I would say it's um, uh, coordinated communication is how I like to think about it. Um, okay. About our marketing strategy, which is you know there there are, at any given time there are a universe of prospective buyers for the property, and the question is is what is, what are you going to do as the listing agent? What strategy do you have to to reach those prospective buyers? In all the different marketing channels available to you, and so you know, we our our view is we we want to uh, um, not only reach all these buyers, but do so in a coordinated fashion, so that the that they're they're all finding out about the opportunity at the same time or as close to that same time as possible. And the more the more um, buyers who who find out about a property. Uh, the more likelihood that they'll feel a sense of urgency and competition. And when buyers feel urgency and competition, 
the sellers do well. It's when the when a property is sort of weakly introduced to the marketplace uh, that buyers don't feel a sense of urgency, and they you know they don't feel like they need to come in right away and see it. They can they can come in two three weeks later, and you know time works against the seller. So you do want you do want your buyers to feel like they better get off the couch and or out of their office and get over there because they're going to miss out on this opportunity. Yeah. How do you create urgency when you're in a buyer's market is, is it's, it's, it, it, there's an orchestrated way of doing it is what I hear you saying. And uh, again, many of these markets that we're talking about luxury homes, there's this, they're stagnant, right? They're stale. They're sitting on the market. And so what I hear you talk about is, is, is you know, how do you, how do you create that urgency? I mean, besides red tag sales and, and pricing it at 50% off. So, um, you know, like, which is probably a natural lead question into when you do have a property, Steve, that you're marketing, you're aggressive, you think outside the box, you you talk about marketing. Um, wh- what do you do when you have what I call a stale listing, Steve? What, is there a technique that you do or multiple things? What, what would you know? Yeah, let's just role play here. You got a two million dollar property, and you know, uh, sitting on the market, uh, there's some tough competition. Wh- what do you do, Steve? Uh, yeah, that's a great question, and, and it you know is fairly common that you know even despite all your efforts to get an offer in the first you know, thirty days, it it sits for six months or so. Um, the key is to con- continually keep your your finger on the pulse of the market. Um, one of the things I always do when I list a property is I set up a search in my local MLS, uh, and let's say it's a two million property, so I might search create a search in in that vicinity or zip code from 1-5 to 2-5. And I, and I look for everything that went under contract from the date we went on the market going forward. And I keep track and say, you know, there might be 30 active listings in that period. And in six months, six homes went under contract. So that's one a month. So that's a five, you know, that's a, uh, uh, you know, you can calculate the absorption rate from that yeah. and determine is the pace of the market. And then you have to look at each of those listings and try to determine is that, you know, what was it about those other properties that were more attractive to those buyers than your property? And is, is um, you know, part of this is having good relationships with those agents, you know, who are the other listing agents and find out if maybe did that buyer even come to your listing to look at it? And uh, and then uh, the key to all this is then keeping your, your client informed that you're doing this work, you're on top of it, and seeing if there's any anything you can do proactively to um, to uh, reposition the property so that, you know, to the extent there is is some sort of perceived negative about your property as to why buyers are, are either not showing it or showing it and not making offers, try to fix it. Is the house too dark? Is the furniture dated? Uh, is there too much wallpaper in the house? Is the yard, is the yard uh, it doesn't feel like it has enough of a flat green area? And some of those things are fixable. Some of them, you know, sometimes they're not. But to the extent they are fixable, you talk to your client and say, is it worth actually you know, making the change? Or sometimes the answer is, you know, maybe it is price. Um, usually it's a combination of those, but it, the key is to have, uh, to, to understand the market, follow it. And, you know, the hardest thing to do, I think, in this business is to reach out to a client when nothing's happening. And I think that's a, uh, that's a fatal error listing agents make is they're afraid to call their client because they don't have any good news to share. But I think it's much better to let the client know that you haven't forgotten about them, that you're, even though 
they don't see activity, they don't see the showings, that you're continuing to market the property aggressively. You know, you 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 nailed um, a bunch of points there, and I'll just try to recap a few of them. So, first off, you talked basically about I use the term fresh eyes analysis. So, take a look at the home. What what can we do to position the home more effectively? So, whether it be you know visually, whether it be wallpaper, whether it be landscaping, you know, and then I also hear you say indirectly, which I talk about all the time as a luxury marketing specialist, we need to accentuate the best features of a home and downplay the least favorable. So um, so you're putting the property out there in its best light. I also heard you say you need to know your competition inside and out, what the market's doing and what your competition has to bring to the, the table. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I, I, I do my best to preview properties every week. Um, so uh, even if I don't have a buyer for them, it's important that I know what's going on so that for my listings, I know when I, when I, one of the things we ask when a buyer comes through one of my listings is, you know, what do you think about the property? What else are you looking at? You know, what else have you liked? It just, you hear this information and it helps you sort of, you know, keep track of the pulse of the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two questions I have for you. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, yeah, um, I think you raise another good point. Is you know, I think it's the you know, the listing agent's job to know what are the the two, three, you know, probably no more than four. What are the you know, what are those four key things that are the biggest selling features of the house, and make sure that your marketing highlights those things. And uh, you know, you can't just have a stock recipe for every listing. How you're gonna you're gonna write the paragraph, your descriptive paragraph for every uh, listing. You really, you know, you have a very limited uh, um, amount of words in which to capture someone's attention. And people look for buzzwords. You know, are you close to a metro? Are you, do you have a flat yard? Do you have an open floor plan with a renovated kitchen? Um, uh, you know, if it is an older home that's fully remodeled, you have to make sure that the buyers know it's fully remodeled because a lot of buyers, you know, won't, will give a, they want new and, but the fully remodeled might keep them there that extra second to click on a few more pictures to see if it's worth their time. So it's a listing agent's job to know what their what buyers in their market are are looking for. That's a good point. Um, um, one question I have for you, and you might not know the answer to this question, so guesstimate if you had had to. What percent of of the time on a property, not just, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about market. Um, Steve, in your marketplace, what percent of the time um, when a deal closes, is there no other agent involved? So um, I'm not necessarily talking about dual agency because some listeners might not, they can't do dual agency, but um, but what percent of the time on a property it sells in your marketplace, if you had to guess or if you know the number, is you're the only agent involved or the listing agent's the only agent involved. So in our market, that can happen one of two ways. It could be a a dual agent where the same agent represents both the buyer and the seller, and that is permitted in two of our three jurisdictions with consent. Um, The other way that happens is through uh, um, uh, where one side elects to go unrepresented. So the, the listing agent is performing what we call ministerial acts not advising that the buyer, but um, just sort of helping them. You know, I, I like to say there's there's sort of a scribe to the transaction, but they 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 shouldn't be giving any advice to the buyer because if, in so doing, they are they are violating their 
fiduciary obligations to the seller. Um, in our market, that's about, um, it's not common. It's less than 5% uh, of homes, uh, even in the luxury market, do, um, uh, are sold that way. I will say there are some agents uh, that, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this politely, but they, they engineer it. So they're, they have a much higher likelihood of having that situation happen with their listings mm-hmm. than, than um, the general. So what I hear you saying is they don't have the seller's best interest in mind, but personal best in mind, which, of course, in my opinion, is an ethical violation. I, I believe that they're, they're doing their seller a disservice by engineering okay. it that way. Enough um, said. I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of them think that they are, they're being fully uh, ethical and nothing, there's no harm, no foul, but I, I, share, I share your belief in that regard. In fact, yeah. my brother and I wrote a, wrote a book about that very topic. <laughs> Did you? What, what was the name of it? Uh, the name of the book is Inside the Cell. Inside the Cell. That's awesome. Good, good name of the book. Uh, and I think I talked about this, but maybe I didn't. Again, you about 70% of your business is on the list side. 30% is buy side. Your average sale right. price for the listeners is around one three. You do about 35, 36 million consistently. I always just like to, you know, share that. But you also run a, an office and you're growing a boutique office, which requires a lot of your time, hand-holding, that sort of thing. Um Another question that I always like to hear, it's all relative to the marketplace. Um, by the way, in my market, 9% of the time last year, homes were uh, represented with only one agent involved. So where does that come into play, Steve? When I'm talking with a seller, I tell them, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, hire the best agent, the best marketer, someone that's going to position your home most effectively locally and globally. Because statistically for you, you might say 5%, but for me, I say 9% of the time, whoever you hire is going to bring the buyer directly. And so let me put it to you another way, Mr. Seller, 91% or in your case, Steve, 95% of the time that buyer is going to, is going to come from another agent. So, you know, the two oldest tricks, I think that a lot of traditional Debbie dinosaur agents use and tell sellers is what number one is tell them what they want to hear, tell them a price to get the listing, which is doing them in service and being unethical because you're lying, not being truthful. And number two is quite honestly, um, is hey, I have a buyer. Tell, tell them that you have a buyer. So, so what, Steve? They interview me, they interview you, and I tell them, hey, I have a buyer. Hire me, and they decide to go with you. Am I not going to bring that buyer anymore? I mean, that's like the oldest, you know, falsehood in the in the business. But don't even get me going there. That's why we started the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast to bring more value to the agents, to the broker owners, um, because unfortunately. There are a lot of negative thoughts about agents out there. I think Reader's Digest in 2012 had real estate agents as the 36 most trusted professionals. We were just above sex workers, um, which um, that's a whole nother topic. But my point is we're not really looked at in high regards as being trustworthy. Not you or me, of course, but uh, we as an industry. Matter of fact, in my marketplace, in the Chicagoland market, we have 16,401 real estate agents in my real estate board. And they came out with the data recently. Last year, 59% of those 16,401 agents, Steve, sold zero homes. 59%. Right. Yeah. I mean, probably not much different in your uh, greater D.C. metro area, is it? I think that's similar. Uh, um, it's definitely over 50% don't sell. Yeah. So that's our competition. Um, 
I will tell those of you that are looking to break into it, the good news is this is a people business. People don't care how much Steve and I know until they know we care. you got to build rapport. And uh, whenever I represent a seller on a luxury property, I always ask the buyer's agent, hey, out of curiosity, you know, how did you meet with your buyer? And many times it's, hey, I'm friends with their family or this. It's not, hey, I'm marketing or I bought this internet lead. So the good news for you that are listening is it is a people business. Um, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, do you um, do you attend your showings? At what price point in your marketplace, out of curiosity, is the listing agent must accompany? Uh, it varies. Um, uh, you know, there is there is sort of a tension. Uh, you know, at any price point, you, you do want to. Uh, you know, I, I, I say that agents are inherently lazy, and so the more obstacles you put in front for them to show a property, the the less likely it is to be shown. Uh, but there are certain properties that definitely, um, because of their their sort of hidden features and and you know some of the, some of the sun features aren't as obvious that you really want to have uh, an agent there. And then also the um, some some of the properties are you know you get to a price point uh, where you know there's just you know the the client expects it and I think rightfully so they just have a lot of valuable art and and valuables in the property and you want to make sure that the family shows that they don't have crazy kids running around jumping on furniture knocking over stuff um, mm-hmm. but I would say I would say um, you know if, about you know. For for appointment only, we call it here. Yeah, you know, it's probably one you know one five and up. We sometimes consider it, but I'd say only like half of our one five and up are we would do appointment only. We usually do a hybrid, um, uh, which is they would call you'd say call first lister where they would call the listing agent, and we would try to vet them and see, and if at all possible, we will meet them there. But um, if that's not possible, I'd rather them you know confirm that they're going to take care of the property and. You know, I know the agent that they're going to, you know, be respectful. And then uh, I'd rather them see it without me than not see it at all, if that makes sense. Sure. And I have three I have three people who, um, you know, including myself, who support myself. So you know, when we do have appointment only, it's going to be one of three people. And they're all always, you know, fully knowledgeable about the property. Okay. And um, proof of funds, do you require it before showing? And at what price point do you require it? Um, you know, we, uh, that's actually fairly rare. I just showed a, you know, I'm showing a $4 million property this week and the, the agent asked for proof of funds. And that is even at that price point, it's fairly, um, uh, unusual okay. uh, because, you know, uh, you know, by the, by virtue of their going through the agent, you know, the, in our, in our market, the agents are usually, it's not, it's not a good use of their time to show properties where their clients aren't qualified for. But um, again, that does happen, but it's not that often here. Okay. Okay. Um, if it's if, if if I get a cold buyer, however, um, who's unrepresented, yeah, I will ask. I won't show the property until I have some sort of confirmation that they're qualified. Sure. 
uh, fair enough. Uh, many of these agents on the call, um, maybe they're not consistently, you know, marketing the high-end luxury properties, and and so that's a common question we ask. Um, you know, I, you know, if it's a real high-end property, I put it right on the multiple listing service, uh, right in the agent remarks, proof of funds required, because you, what I can tell you is you don't want to ask one person for it and not somebody else, because if one's a protected class, they might think you're steering, or hey, you asked, you know, this guy, I'm Italian, so I'll pick on me. You asked this guy who's got an Italian last name for proof of funds, but you didn't ask this other guy. You know what I mean? So you have to be consistent, whatever you do. I always ask my uh, Italian buyers for proof of funds. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So, so Steve, um, First off, if, if somebody has a referral or they want to get a hold of you, out, you know, on that D.C., Maryland, uh, Virginia marketplace, what, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Oh, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, yeah. So the, the two easiest ways to reach me are my email, which is steve at widlerbrothers.com, which is my first name, Steve, and the name of our company, Widler Brothers, which is spelled W. Y is in yellow, D's in David, L-E-R, brothers, because I have the pleasure and privilege of working with my brother each and every day. That's awesome. And yes, there's a, maybe a hint of sarcasm in that, but yeah. uh, uh, you know, we, we do get along, but you know, we are brothers, so we, we do get in our battle, you know, have our battles here and there. And the other way is my phone. And so um, you know, like any good realtor, my phone is by my hip 24-7. And um, uh, that number is uh, 703-346-6326. Again, 703-346-6326. And like any good realtor, you always learn to say your telephone number twice. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Repeat yourself three times if necessary. Um, Well, good. Well, listen, I I really appreciate your time. You gave some really good nuggets here. Um, Keep doing your thing. I love the fact that you guys stepped out of your comfort zone, you and your brother. And uh, that's where the magic happens for those listeners is when you do step out of your comfort zone. And and that's what you guys did with starting your boutique. So if we can be supportive of you anyway, let us know. Um, Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I, I really appreciate and again, for those listeners, make sure you, you check in and tune in periodically. You can always go to luxurylistingpodcast.com for the most recent, or you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. My name is Michael Lafito. I'm the founder of the Luxury Listing Specialist Certification. You can go to luxurylistingspecialist.com for more information. So again, if you're looking to break into and dominate selling high-end and luxury homes, that's, I would say, the first step in my mind where you should go. A proven content, content proven uh, principles and more importantly it works so with that being said remember it's not the market it's the marketing my name is michael ofito thank you for your time and thank you steve hey there it's michael ofito thanks again for listening to our podcast if you are interested in signing up for our luxury listing specialist certification or if you want additional information on how you can dominate selling higher-end homes in your marketplace make sure you go to luxurylistingspecialist.com